open it up with us to uh, the fourth chapter, book of John. If you don't have your Bible with you, we have them up. Uh, the scriptures up on the screen. Follow along with us. We've been going through the book of John, marvelous book of John, glorious book of John, John's Gospel. Tonight we're in the uh, fourth chapter of verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people The Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When that one comes, He will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, We have progressed through the marvelous chapter, the fourth chapter of the book of John. And John has revealed to us that Jesus left Judea to travel 60 miles by foot on his road to Galilee. But while en route to Galilee, he had to make a pit stop into a place called Samaria. A place called Samaria. He was wearied from his 40 miles of travel from Judea. And Jesus sat down, as we, as we uh, looked at the Scriptures last week, Jesus sat down by Jacob's well. Remember, this was a hot and dry desert land. It was hot, it was dry, and Jesus was wearied. Now what that tells you and I tonight is that Jesus knew what suffering was. Jesus knew what it felt like to feel alone, to feel wearied from travels. Jesus knows your struggles, and He knows my struggles. He knew what suffering and pain really was. But He brought Himself from a place of glory into bodily form, into this world, so that He could experience the very thing that you and I experienced. He knows you. But Jesus sat down there by Jacob's well at the base of Mount Gerizim. 
near the village of Sychar. While his disciples, they went on into town to buy food, to buy bread there in a nearby town. And while his disciples went into town, Jesus was sitting there alone at the well. If we go back a few verses, we know that he said, I must go to Samaria. He didn't say, I may go to Samaria, but he said, I must go to Samaria. This woman, as we discussed last week, she was traveling a far distance to come to this well. The woman of Samaria, she came to draw water from Jacob's well, and this well was located outside the town, and she was traveling at noontime at the hottest part of the day. By her coming to the well at the hottest part of the day, by her coming to the well that was the farthest distance away for her to travel, my friend, that speaks volumes to you and to I tonight. It speaks volumes to us because we know that she was an outcast. She was not welcomed by the other women because she had been married five times. And the one that she was with now, she was not her husband. She was living an adulterous life. And so she felt the heaviness. She felt the sorrow and the grief. She could have been like the the lady that had the letter A on her chest. The adulteress. So she traveled the hottest part of time when the other women were not around. When the other women were, were, may not have welcomed her at the well, or maybe they would, have, they would have made her felt uncomfortable. Maybe they'd been whispering about her. Who are you with now? Who's your husband now? She had lived an immoral life. As a result, she was looked upon as being worthless. Perhaps the other women had laid claim to the other convenient wells, forcing her to go to the farthest one at the hottest time of day to get the water. So Jesus was sitting there, and and he struck up a conversation with her by asking her for a drink of water. You know the story. He sparked an interest in this woman by offering her not the water from the well, but the water from the living well, the living water. The water that will that will cause you to not thirst no more. That water that would that would fulfill the thirst and the hunger. The water that would fill that void was available. And Jesus had it. The woman said to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not. Be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. As we see by her response, she wanted the water, this temporal water. She had carried water for so long at the hottest part of the day. And she knew as surely as she carried this water, tomorrow she's going to carry more water and more water. So she wanted the water for the temporal benefits. She was misunderstanding, you see. She wanted relief from having to tote the water from the well. 
every day, all along. There are many in the world today that are alone. Though they may be in a crowd of people, they're alone because of the lifestyle that they've lived. They're in, they are in an, in an un, un, uncomfortable place. And we've all been there. If, we, if we're forthcoming, we've all been in a place where we were not comfortable to be. We've all been there. So we can all relate to this woman if we're truthful. They knew that she'd been married five times. They knew that the one that she lived with was not her husband. But what about the hidden sin that so many of us have had or perhaps we do have? Since the woman didn't understand the nature of the water that Jesus spoke of, you'll notice here she she transitions the conversation. Jesus transitions the conversation to her need for repentance and salvation from sin by asking her. He said, go and call your husband and come here. She, however, made an attempt, and we all have, to conceal the sin in our lives. She made an attempt to conceal the things that she had done from Jesus. She said, I have no husband. But her attempt proved to be futile, did it not? Jesus' reply would force her to face her sins. Everyone that comes to to believe and comes to faith in Christ is going to eventually have to face their sins. And that's where this woman was. Jesus said, yes, you have correctly said, "I I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. Now, Christians, tonight we know that a person may hide their sins from man, but you'll not hide one from God. God knows all. Jesus' knowledge of her past had not come from men, but it came from God. And the Samaritan woman, she knew it. She realized it. She, she understood The reaction to exposed sin, it often varies. Sometimes, when people's sins are revealed, they become angry. Sometimes they will will deny it. You ever been there? Amen. Some will justify sin. Some will even defend their sin. And there's others who will admit to their sin, they'll be ashamed of their sin, and they'll show remorse for it. And that's really the difference between those of us who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ is we confess our sins and ask Him, Lord, save me, for I'm a lost sinner. I have no hope outside of the hope that You give. We're no better than any lost person in the world. Amen? It's the truth the truth. 
So let's see what a reaction is to her exposed sin. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The Samaritan woman was stunned by his knowledge of her immoral private lifestyle. And the woman said, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, the woman's heart was touched. However, it wasn't touched to the point of recognizing that he was the Christ. She knew there was something special. She accuses him of being a prophet. She is saying, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. A prophet, what is a prophet? A prophet is an interpreter or a foreteller of the things to come. And so it, it's certain that the woman quickly came to the realization that Jesus' knowledge of her past had not come by way of man, but from God. Oh, God exposes it all, doesn't He? At this point, she saw Him as a prophet of God, but she didn't see Him as the Messiah. Her reaction based upon her response, it seems to indicate to us tonight that she wanted to take the focus off of her Self. See, she was human. Just like you. Just like me. So she quickly asked a theological question. One that the Jews and Samaritans had been debating on for many, many years. She said to him in verse 20. She said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now keep in mind, the Jews had their temple in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans, they believed the rightful place for worship was in the temple at Mount Gerizim. The people, the Jews, believed that their place of worship was Jerusalem, the place also is called Mount Zion. Some commentators believe at this point that the the woman genuinely wanted to know the proper place of worship so that she could go and worship the true God. Perhaps that's true. However, it seems to me, it seems likely to me, that she is simply she is simply wanting to move away from the uncomfortable discussion of her immoral lifestyle and talk about the long-running debate between the Jews and the Samaritan. Where are we supposed to worship? Here or there? I have not yet found repentance. Jesus unexpectedly Here's what he said to her in verse 21. He said, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming that neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus' reply was unexpected. What was the issue of where worship would soon be irrelevant? The place of worship would be irrelevant. You and I know that today, as Pastor Steve said this morning, we have the whole canon before us. We know it's not where you worship, but it's the nature that you worship and who you worship. Do we know who we worship? The Samaritan woman, she was stunned 
true worship, Jesus says, will take place neither in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. As a side note, it turns out that about 40 years later, in 70 A.D., during the Jewish revolt against Rome, the temple at Jerusalem was completely destroyed. Additionally, on Mount Gerizim, thousands of Samaritans were slaughtered a few decades later. So what Jesus said came to pass. The true place of worship at the time of Jesus' conversation with this woman was, of course, in Jerusalem, since the new covenant had not yet begun. Under the new covenant, the place of worship would not be an issue at all, right? We can worship at this church. We can worship at the house. We can worship down over the hill. We can worship up on the mountain. Anywhere we go, we know that God is there and He'll meet us there. He's moving to the heart of man. And we can worship Him every step of every day. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So He's with us always. Always. But keep in mind that the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. We refer to them as the Pentateuch. The first five books of Moses were the accepted scriptures for the Samaritans. So the Samaritans, they lacked the full revelation contained in the scriptures. They didn't accept the prophets. They didn't accept the book of Psalms. So their knowledge was very sketchy. And so Jesus said to her in verse 22, He says, you worship. Now he's referring to the Samaritans. He would say, you Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. The Samaritans, they worshipped with limited knowledge, as I said. And the Jews worshipped however... It was based upon the true knowledge of God which came through His self-revelation in the pages of His holy scriptures. You want to know about Jesus? You want to know about the Heavenly Father? You want to know about the, the Holy Spirit? As Pastor Steve said this morning, open the book and read it. Don't trust my words. Don't trust any other minister's word. Don't trust a friend's word. Read the scriptures. There's truth in them. There's hope in them. Verse 23. Jesus says, but an hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship Him will worship Him in spirit and truth. We would do well to examine these scriptures. We would do well to examine these two verses. We see many topics within these two verses. I'm telling you, preachers in the house, we could preach, we could all pick out ten different topics right here in these two verses that we could preach on each. It's full of topics. We see here, first of all, the topic of true worshipers. We could preach on that a good while. In Jesus' own words, he tells the woman that true worshipers will worship the Father. 
This may come as a, as a surprise to some of you. But to have ignorance of the Old Testament is to have ignorance of the character of God the Father. You believe that? We must go to the Old Testament if you want to know the God's character. If you want to know who God is and how God thinks to the extent that we humans can, the Old Testament is the place to go and learn of God the Father. It seems within the church today that somehow Christianity centers exclusively around Jesus. Now, Jesus is to be honored. Jesus is to be glorified. Jesus is all in all and everything more. But this idea runs contrary to what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying true worshipers will worship the Father. We are graciously honored to worship the Lord Jesus. But don't forget that Christ came for the purpose to reconcile you and I to who? The Father. The Father. Again, we worship the triune God. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we need to have, we need to have the impressive stateliness and the dignity and the beauty and the glory of the Father in our minds as we come into His place of worship and worship His name. God is glorious. He's more than a man that died on the cross. He forever was. He forever will be. He's higher than the highest and greater than the great. So, how are true worships to worship the Father? The Bible says that in spirit and in truth, these are red letters, Pastor Steve. These are red letters. Jesus says, they that worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, this, is, this has been a, among the most misunderstood passages in all of Scripture. Say with me. What did Jesus mean when He said that the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The spirit to which Jesus refers to is the human spirit. Our inner spirit. The place that we worship from the depths of our soul. The place that nothing else is allowed to go to. The place that represents all of our being, all of our love, all of our hearts, all of our minds. We don't just worship on the surface. We don't just show up and show out. We don't just show up and, and express ourselves in front of people. But true worshipers worship Him from the very core of our being. In spirit. In your spirit. Your spirit longs for God, does it not? Your spirit longs for heaven, doesn't it? This is not as good as it gets. Despite what Joel Osteen says, your best life now, if this is it, if this is your best life now, then you're, you have hell coming. 
Because heaven's going to be so much sweeter. It's going to be so much sweeter than we can ever make this life out to be. Our worship must demonstrate an authentic faith. You like authentic friends, don't you? You like real friends, don't you? Do you like fake friends or do you like authentic, true, blue friends? Would Jesus, the Lord likes true, authentic worship. And Jesus said that you must worship the Father in spirit, in your very being, with all your heart, and in truth. In truth. For example, an example of true worship. Let's look at the book of Luke. Book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 46. Now this is when Mary sang her song of praise to God. She cries out, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Notice here, she says, My soul, my, my, my inner being, my soul and my spirit has rejoiced. My soul and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. In contrast, Jeremiah, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he told the people of Israel that their worship had become dead. It had become an outward expression. It had become an external formalism. They went through the motions. They recited the prayers. They sang the hymns. Maybe they parted their hair a certain way. I don't know. But their hearts wasn't in it. Church, this is a call for you and I that would believe to have our hearts in it. Don't let your preacher beg you to come to church. Don't let your preacher beg you to read your Bible. Don't let your preacher beg you to pray. You love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. These folks went through the motions. This is what Jesus is speaking of. This is the kind of worship that God does not want. He wants true worship. In spirit. So when we come to worship, we're to come to our heart filled with reverence and adoration. Glory to His name. He's glorious. Wow. I know we're going to be impressed when we get in His presence. Don't, don't you? Do you capture a vision of heaven beyond this world? When we see those loved ones again and they're, and they're well, they're not sick anymore. He's worthy of all worship, of all praise. And, and we ought to adore Him with all of our spirit. Verse 23, I'll refer you back to that. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for such people the Father seeks to be His worshippers. So the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit, that is, in the heart, from the core of our soul, with all of our being, in spirit and in truth. So what in the world are we talking about? 
What the Samaritan woman is being told, as well as you and I tonight, is that the Samaritan's worship is to be in accordance to the truth. In accordance to the written Word of God. That's the truth. So then, we as worshipers will worship the Father in our human spirits and in the truth of His holy Word. Now, this verse keeps on giving us uh, benefits here tonight. Look at this. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. Mankind, in their fallen condition, in and of and by themselves, do not seek to worship the one true God. Listen, if you have any desire tonight at all, any, 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 any at all, to worship God, it's a gift of God. It's not in and of yourself. The Bible teaches that, that, that man's heart is dark and wicked and it doesn't want the things that God has. But I'm glad the Father seeks. Look at this. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. The Father seeks. The Father seeks. The Father seeks His worshipers. Aren't you glad that the Father sought you? You're here at His place of worship tonight. Aren't you glad that He sought you out and called you out to worship Him in spirit and in truth? The Father does the seeking for those to be His worshipers. You are a special guest by God tonight. Because He sought you out to worship Him in spirit and in truth. He sovereignly draws His worshipers to Himself. And I'm convinced that, that, that if God didn't seek, if God didn't do the calling, that you and I never would. You see, Jesus did the seeking by going to Jacob's well. He didn't have to go through Samaria. It was a very mountainous terrain there uh, in the, in the uh, province of Samaria. He could have done it like the devout Jews did and crossed over the Jordan and went up the Transjordan Highway and come back across to go into Galilee. Or he could have went over to the left and went up by the Mediterranean Sea and went completely around like the devout Jews did to stay away from those nasty, filthy, uh, uh, pagan Samaritans. He could have went into Galilee that way. But he said, I must, needs go. In other words, I've got business at at Jacob's well. I have business in Samaria. So the Lord Jesus, He went to Jacob's well. He wasn't going hoping somebody would come along. He came because there was an appointment for a woman to come. She'd come to this well many times, but this trip would be a different occasion. It would be a different outcome. It would be life-changing. You and I made that trip one day. We we came to that place where Christ met us. And it changed us forever. 
I mean, it changed us forever. I got a made-up mind, don't you? Pastor Steve, we got our minds made up. Brother Jeremy, we got our minds made up. Church, we've got our minds made up. Because we met the one who had the living water. And it's a fountain. It springs up within us. And we want nothing else. But more and more and more. Nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to keep me from it. All the demons of hell will not keep me from coming to my Savior. And coming into His presence. the well that springs up within me and within you. The Father, He seeks us to worship Him in spirit and truth. In Jesus' own words, chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 44, very familiar scripture, He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Father sounds pretty important here, does He not? He says, And I will raise him up in the last day. Who, who does the drawing? According to the scripture, the Father. And while we're at it, who did the sending? What does it say here? No one can come to me unless the Father has sent me. So, the Father, He did the sending. The Father, He does the drawing. And again, who does the seeking? The Father. The Father. This is why it's so important that we don't cross out the Old Testament. We need to preach the Old Testament. We need to preach the New Testament. There's glorious things that we can know about God. There's glorious things that we can know that God wants for you and for me in all of His Scripture, all 66 books. That makes up the Scripture. And our Lord's own words again, John 6 and 65. And He was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted him from the Father. There it is. The Father. In Jesus' teaching of the Father, He said in John eight twenty eight, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative. This, this is Jesus speaking. If Jesus does nothing of His own initiative, then neither should we. He said, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And, and He who sent me is with me. The Father's with me, He's saying. He has never, He has not let me alone. I like that. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. That's deep, isn't it? That's pretty deep for an old country boy. That's pretty deep for me. But here Jesus affirms His complete submission 
Jesus' complete submission, his complete obedience to the Father, fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. He says, I didn't come to abolish or to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill it. The point that I'm trying to make here tonight is this, is that true worship, really real worship, we must know who we are worshiping. We worship the one and only triune God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. He is, a, he is the invisible God who dwells in an unapproachable light, if you didn't know that. God is invisible, and He dwells in an unapproachable light. In other words, you can't tolerate the glory and the light that shines from Almighty God. And no man has seen or can see. That's God. God is spirit. The Bible says that God has revealed Himself to humanity in four different ways. First, and Pastor Steve touched on this this morning, through the, complex, through the complexity of His vast creation, the universe. Have you ever looked in a telescope? Have you ever looked in the science books where they have those powerful telescopes in, in, the, in the billions of light years and the billions upon billions of stars and the planets? and all of the vastness of His creation, and, and we can't find the outer uh, edges, we can't find the vastness of it, it just keeps going and going and going. So God has shown Himself through the complexity of His vast creation. He's shown Himself through your conscience, through my conscience. God has, God has revealed Himself to our spirits, to our minds. God has revealed Himself through the person of His dear Son, Jesus Christ. And He has revealed Himself to us through the Scriptures. God has made Himself known to us. And it cannot be truly denied to an atheist and to the Christ-rejectors. The Bible says, you are without You have no excuse. You can't say, well, that preacher didn't come and talk to me, so that's why I'm in hell. No. Every atheist knows. Every atheist is a liar. I'll say that here on live internet. Every atheist is a, is a liar. Why? Because he don't, doesn't believe in God, he says. When the Bible says that he's without excuse. He knows there's a God. He wants to put him away. Put him out of their minds. Now back to the encounter at Jacob's well. We'll get back over here. The Samaritan woman had not yet understood the things that Jesus was telling her. But his words about worship seems to be bringing her back to the subject at hand. She says in John 4 and 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. What or when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. 
Sounds like many in the world today. You know, we really don't know. We really don't know what to believe. We don't know if this one's right or that one's right. We don't, we don't, we don't really know. But the woman is saying, I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will declare all things to us. The exposure of her sin and the subject of true worship brings her thoughts, though, if you'll notice, to the Messiah. She says that she knows that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. She would have known, based upon the words from the five books that they did accept, the books of Moses. Deuteronomy 18, 18 says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, referring to Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, referring to Jesus, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. She says, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Her belief was not a saving belief, but it was only a belief of something to be true. You know, we can believe anything. It doesn't make it true. You can believe what you want to, but it doesn't make it true. She believed what she had knowledge of, but that wasn't enough for salvation. We can believe in Jesus, but that's not quite enough for salvation. We must believe unto the point of repentance. We must believe to the point of a godly sorrow and the conviction in our hearts that would cause us to see our wretchedness. Without seeing our wretchedness, we don't see the the, the urgency to come to Christ. The woman hadn't got to that point yet. She says that one comes who would declare all things to us. She believed that the Messiah would come, and he and he believed that he would uh, he would have the supreme authority to to declare all things to us. Her belief, as I said, was not a saving belief, but only a belief that there was a Messiah. But nevertheless, she did acknowledge that the Messiah is coming, and when that one comes, he would declare all things to us. Now, John, in John 4, 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus, on very few occasions, revealed himself to people. He re- on very few occasions did he directly reveal who he was. But here, Christ actually uses his title. He didn't use it with Nicodemus, who was the a leader, a teacher of the Jews. He was an elitist in the Sanhedrin group. I think there's about 71 of them that taught. He was devout. But Jesus didn't tell her, I who speak to you. And he, Jesus told this woman, this wretched, lost, immoral woman, I who speak to you am he. Now, a more accurate word-for-word translation would render this a little bit different. He says, 
I am. Does that ring a bell with you? I am the one who speaks to you. She had been an outcast. She'd been living under the dark cloud of an immoral lifestyle. What I find amazing is that Jesus reveals himself to this adulterous woman more than he had his disciples, more than he had to anyone in Scripture up to this point. Don't you find that kind of ironic? That this woman that everyone else cast out, Jesus said, I am speaking to you. Her past sins didn't prevent Jesus from, re- from revealing Himself to her. Now, this is encouraging. We've never gone too far. As long as there's, as there's breath in our bodies, as long as thou, there's a heartbeat, as long as there's life within us, you've not sinned too much, you've not done too much, you've not gone too far, you may be as rotten as you can be. But Jesus died for your sins. And if we'll submit ourselves to Him, and we'll call upon Him, He is faithful to forgive. He's faithful to save. Stand with me tonight, if you will. We'll see the next time the effects of Christ's conversation with the woman of Samaria. I didn't get quite as far uh, tonight into our... Uh, into our book, but there were some things there that I just felt like I needed to point out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you, Lord, for each and every one that's here tonight. Lord, we pray that your holy word has struck exactly where it needed to strike. We pray that you will prick the hearts of those that, that are lost and need to know you as personal Lord and Savior. For, Lord, we know that hell is a terrible place. The Bible says it's a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of darkness like we cannot imagine. It's a place of sulfur and a place of emptiness. It's a wicked place. And, Lord, we pray that those that may be listening tonight by way of Facebook or YouTube, those that may be in our midst tonight, Lord, that we'll all examine our hearts. We'll examine where do we stand with you? Where do we stand? Not in our works, but in the depths of our heart. In that worshiping you in spirit and in truth, Lord, that you told the Samaritan woman about. Do we worship you in spirit and in truth? Or do we worship you with something Less, something else than spirit and in truth. Lord, we pray that this church can be a light. We pray, Lord, that we can be like a city upon a hill, that the, that the lost and dying world can see, hey, there's hope over there. Those people over there, they're rejoicing. Yes, they go through storms. Yes, they go th- through struggles. But they're rejoicing anyway. Because they have the blessed assurance that Jesus is their Lord. 
But Lord, we pray that you lead us and guide us, Lord. Grow our church. Lord, help us to make the right steps. And Lord, bless each and every one that's here tonight. Lord, may they have a good week. We pray, Lord, blessings upon them. Safety and security upon them, Lord. And wrap your loving arms around each and every one, Lord. And help them, Lord, to know that you are faithful and that you'll never leave or forsake them. Lord, we pray for our lost loved ones, children, some grandchildren that need to be saved. Lord, we pray tonight for for, uh, just a revival to break out in this community, into this church. Lord, we know the days are dark, but we know that there's a brighter day coming. And Lord, we look for it with great anticipation. We look for your return at any moment, at any moment, for you to come and carry your church home. Lord, we long for that day more than anything. We give you praise and honor tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.